Today's episode of Peanuts Gallery is brought to you by Peanut Butter Sandwiches. Peanut Butter Sandwiches, the taste of bone-crushing loneliness. Best eaten on a lonely bench while talking about yourself endlessly and endlessly. God damn it, I did not like this one. Once I have written a theme song, it will go here. I'm Molly Lewis. I'm Josh Kagan. And this is the Peanuts Gallery. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> this is... <laughs> oh, okay. This one's a slog. This one was a slog. Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. So um, so today we are talking about You're in Love, Charlie Brown, 1967, the fourth special and uh, the second non-holiday special available on, of course, uh, iTunes and YouTube and uh, the, the discs with the writing on the them. Utterly the utterly delightful Charlie Brown 1960s collection. It's... Uh, it's, it's not good. No, it's <laughs> it's not the it's not literally the you know what it reminds me of. This one reminds me of well, certainly it feels like Charlie Brown All Stars in that there's no kind of hook to hang anything on. Not really. Just stuff kind of happens. There's sort of an arbitrary time constraint because it's the last week of school and it's like, well, I gotta talk to the red haired girl before the school. Whoa, 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 let's not get ahead of ourselves. I know. This is an important <laughs> episode though because it's our introduction to uh, Peppermint Patty. Yep. It's our introduction to the little red haired girl. True. Whose name we don't know yet. It's um, our introduction to the trombone trombone voice. That's hard to say. Trombone voice for the meat lump adults. Uh, Wikipedia refers to the phrase as tromboning. Which we're not going to, we're not going to use Sounds that term. Sounds filthy. <laughs> and is the first time that the children break into a terrible song. Mm-hmm. And sadly, not the last. And that was actually, I didn't think I had seen this one because it is so utterly forgettable. Um, but then they got to the garbage song and I went, nope, I grew up with that garbage song. <laughs> I have seen this. Um, it reminds me of the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show from the 1980s. Gosh, yeah. Uh, Which could we- be its own rewatch podcast. Not by Not us, by us please. But, but please run with it, America mm. and rest of world. Uh, like Charlie Brown All-Stars, again, it feels like two weeks worth of strips that they just sort of looked at randomly and went, these, mm-hmm. this is fine. We'll put it out. It's sort of about the last couple of days of school. So it is a good summer episode, I guess. But I would say, unlike a lot of the episodes we've looked at so far... Um, where you can kind of argue like, well, if, you know, people are kind of rallying against Charlie Brown and they, he showed up and he's trying to be the captain of the baseball team or the director of the play and nobody believes in him. But in this one, Charlie Brown did all of this to himself. Oh yeah. We've, we've already answered that question. It's all in his head. Here's the synopsis of this episode. Synopsis. A boy likes a girl and wants to talk to her before the school year finishes. He doesn't. Also a dog makes his own breakfast. synopsis (laughs) synopsis <laughs> well he also he uh sleeps on a bench at oh, some point sure sure it's an action-packed it's, episode it's <laughs> uh he gets he gets laughed at he gets sent to the principal's office we get the town gets just they blandish the hell out of the town for this one <laughs> it is a beautiful beautifully blandish yeah um it Absolutely. The animation, again, is a little better than the last one. The colors are really vibrant. They've built out the town even further. Mm-hmm. This is our first, uh, we, this is our first time we've seen wildlife in the episode. There's a lot of background characters. Um, yeah, we see other kids. Unnamed townsfolk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kids. Yeah. Still kids. And, uh, it, the first, like Molly pointed out, the first time that the kids actually have interactions with adults and we see an adult human hand. Yeah, sort of a forearm. <laughs> Driving the bus. Yeah. Now, 
that could just be the most powerful man in town. Could be a very tall child. Could be a very tall child. You're absolutely right. Doesn't does Snoopy or Peppermint Patty drive the car in uh Go Away Charlie Brown and Don't Come Back? I made that up. What is the name? Oh, uh, Bon Voyage. Bon Voyage Charlie, Charlie Brown. Brown. That's the that's the subtitle on that one. Yes. Is, and Don't Come Back. No, I think we're just I I think Marcy or Peppermint Patty is also there. I know that Marcy yells at somebody in French, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Way, way ahead. It's <laughs> season 48. Uh, we are after a Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, which now looks like the fucking battleship Potemkin in comparison to this. <laughs> after that sort of Linus-centric episode, we are squarely back in the realm of Charlie Brown's head. And in fact, I made the note in all caps – Fucking Kevin Spacey on House of Cards does not spend this much time talking to himself as Charlie Brown does. <laughs> I would say in a 25-minute episode, there is a full four and a half hours of Charlie Brown muttering to himself. Well, and there's, uh, there's a combination of him talking out loud, like, like his mouth moving, like, oh, she's looking at me. She's, I don't like peanut butter. And then there's sort of this voiceover thing that sounds like his thoughts are just being piped in over the PA. And Which I wish they, they had just are. stuck to one or the other. Yeah, he's just he he records his diary, his tape diary, Laura it's Palmer style. It's Diane, yes. Yeah. Diane. Diane. I saw the little red haired girl again today. I don't like peanut butter. We uh our least thrilling pre credit sequence yet. Mm-hmm. Charlie Brown wakes up, he thinks his dog is making him breakfast, but in fact, his dog is making it himself breakfast. Right. And then he goes to school. He opens up a brown paper sack in his kitchen and goes, peanut butter sandwiches. And then walks to school with Linus. He does a lot of whining and complaining. Yeah, like make your own, make your own lunch, Charlie Brown. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he is. He, uh, he meets up with his buddy Linus, uh, who is wearing a, a a non-canonical hat. Very snappy. Yeah, he he does look snappy. And Charlie Brown feeling just generally terrible, as we're about to find out, always takes a minute to make, uh, somebody else try and feel terrible about themselves. So asks the question, aren't you worried about what kids are going to say about your blanket? Which is an odd question to ask because it's the second to last day of school. Linus has had this blanket for <laughs> fucking ever. Right. You, like, you would think Linus's response would be like, again, we got to talk about the blanket, Charlie Brown. Look. Every week. Every we week every it's week. the same thing. But instead, uh, Linus uh, outs himself as a dangerous psychopath. Right. As basically the Charles Bronson of the Peanuts gang. And he's like, you got a nickel? Yeah, I guess. Flip it up in the air. And then Linus thwacks it out of the air with, with the implicate. And then he says something like, they don't know. ask a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, why are you dirty hairy all of a sudden? It's like there's some quota they have to meet. Like Snoopy has to do some flight of fancy or Linus has to do some kind of nonsensical stunt with his blanket. Yeah, but this is the first time that he's been like, this is a deadly weapon. I am yeah. going to use this. I am literally going to put a child's eye out with this. Yeah. Rest, come on, tango. The most powerful handheld weapon. <laughs> and then Charlie Brown starts complaining in earnest, and he does not stop for the entire episode. And basically, he's like, nobody likes me. I hate school. I hate everything. Why everybody- can't I have fun like everybody else? And then a bus drives by, and he's like, did you see that little red-haired girl? Why can't I eat lunch with that little red-haired girl? And I'm sitting there thinking, it's because you're a sad, self-pitying sack of shit, Charlie yeah. Brown. Like, yeah. This is... Nobody wants to eat with you. Listen I- to yourself. Definitely, I, I have I have pointed out now ad infinitum that I definitely related to Charlie Brown a lot growing up. But more and more as I watch these episodes, I find myself thinking, instead of using Charlie Brown as a cautionary example, 
like watching this and going like, this is not the appropriate way to behave as a person. I watched it and I was like, oh, I guess this is the way you're supposed to act if you're sad. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like if you are, if you are prone to melancholy, what you need to do is talk about it constantly and really just lean into it and not do a goddamn thing to make yourself feel better. Cause there are some, like the Halloween episode is generally not Charlie Brown centric, but kind of crummy stuff happens to him, but it's not, none of it's really his fault. It's just kind of his friends are dicks and he needs to pick better friends. But this one, every bad thing that happens to him, he's kind of goes, Oh, well, I guess I'm in the principal's office, which is a spoiler. And, <laughs> and we're sitting there going, No, but I mean, you, you put yourself there. You would not be in this, this pickle if you were maybe not such a sad, self pitying lump of shit. Yeah. He's, he's no bueno in this episode. Yeah. He is a, a genuine drag to watch, but there is, we're back again to sort of the, uh, the Charlie Brown all-star. It feels like there are two different speeds for these specials. Yeah. Now that we've seen, we've watched all of four in close company. There are the holiday specials, which are a little gentler, a little kinder. There are little glimmers of hope. And then there are the like slice of life episodes where everybody is a fucking douche. Yeah. It's like they kind of don't know how to cohere a story without some sort of holiday yeah. around it. Like, well, what's the, what's the thrust of this one? Well, Charlie Brown is a, is kind of a sack of garbage. Okay. <laughs> Go, run with it. But so Charlie Brown basically spills his heart to Linus. He's like, I hate myself. I hate everybody. Everybody hates me. Like Molly said, a random bus goes whizzing by at like 400 miles an hour, but just long enough for Charlie Brown to point out like, there, that specific girl. I wish I could have lunch with her. I feel terrible. I don't know what's wrong with me. And then Linus says, I know what's wrong with you. You're in love, Charlie Brown, which is the first time that they've like thrown like, I'm going to say the title, wink. Uh, and then – you know, the sound of children enjoying themselves is still, uh, will always be poison to my ears, but like this especially, it breaks into like the purgatory children's choir mm -hmm. singing a disgusting song. <laughs> uh, yeah. What, it, you know, the, the poor little Charlie Brown. Oh, it's, it is awful. Well, there are, <laughs> there are some specials that we've watched so far where I kind of, you know, because I've seen them so many times as a kid, we sort of talked about in the last episode, Sort of the the veneer of sentimentality that yeah. sort of coats the flaws in a thing, and so I kind of feel bad that I you know can't really bring a fresh perspective, a hot take to the Halloween special, as it were. Um, but with this one, I was kind of relieved because I have I've heard, I've seen this one before, and it didn't occur to me until we heard that garbage song. Like, oh, I know that garbage song. I've seen this one before, and. I, instead of going, whoa, this song, I went, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> oh, right. I've been scarred for life. I just forgot yeah, about it. It just kind of neutralized whatever reaction I would have had to that. And it didn't occur to me, oh, yeah, this is a garbage song <laughs> until you just like visibly shuddered. Yes. You can, I could actually hear the synapse popping in your head, just like, oh, that song. Yeah. The opening credit sequence, though, I will say, 
is lovely. Mm-hmm. And there are like there are there are woodland creatures unaffected by the uh, great industrial accident. <laughs> uh, there are non Woodstockian birds. Yeah, did you see one of them? They had this t- this pair of yellow birds that built a nest on top of Snoopy's stomach as he was sleeping, and one of them had like the little Sally Brown poof on top of its head. Oh, cute! It seems like the network went well. We don't want to, these birds aren't gay, right? Like <laughs> that's, that's how I read that. We don't want no gay birds. Get them out of here. Give them one of them a poof, and that way we know that was the girl bird. Um, Can you put titties on that bird? No. Uh, give him some. <laughs> That's we are ten minutes into this episode, and Molly Lewis has used the phrase "bird titties." <laughs> Here we go. Vroom. I, uh, but of course, none of those birds would be Woodstock because it's 1967, and we don't see Woodstock. Woodstock for a while. I almost said Woodstock. Yeah, that's where I, I am. Would, <laughs> Woodstock doesn't happen for another forty years. <laughs> and then where are we? Oh, and then, yeah, uh, in the, front of the schoolyard. They're sure. walking to school. Uh, Sally has had the Men in Black treatment uh, between uh, uh, Great Pumpkin and this because she is she has forgotten all the events of Halloween mm-hmm. and is back to being madly in love with Linus. Yes, <laughs> Sally comes up to him and is like. I love you. And Linus is like, well, well, there's no weird gourd based cults I'm trying to indoctrinate you into. So I'm going to go back to thinking you're disgusting. Okay. Um, and she, and like I said, and she has somehow forgotten that. I wonder if they just ended up settling out of court and kind of she just let bygones. She got be, her restitution. Yeah. And, and now she's back. She let bygones be bygones. And then yes, they, uh, the, the pulse pounding, she loves me, she loves me not sequence. Mm hmm. And Linus says, it's difficult for me to believe that a flower has the gift of prophecy. <laughs> and the note that I wrote in all caps is, you believe in a flying pumpkin. It's true. Linus seems to be a little smarter in this episode uh, than previous, than this weird previous downslide he's yeah. been having into just like lying in dirt and shivering. Like yeah. he's, he seems to have come back a little from that. Uh, but make no mistake, he is a butt. Oh yeah, he is an utter butt in this episode. You, a classic frenemy. I I don't think he understands the parameters of friendship. No, and I think I think he I think he does sort of want to help Charlie Brown, and I think that his heart is in the right place. But he is not at all paid attention to Charlie Brown's style. Charlie Brown is very guest culture, and Linus just goes in all ask culture, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I also noticed it, it doesn't really matter for the canon but sally and linus are in the same class as charlie brown and lucy and them i no i I, no sally's not in there because she's she's not in the classroom but linus is they just all go to the same school it's just a one schoolhouse kind of deal um yeah i guess because if linus Uh, was bumped up by a couple years that wouldn't surprise me either well he he is lucy's younger brother Mm -hmm. but they are all in the same Same class together so that i think that makes i think linus probably skipped a couple grades yeah and uh, so, and this, and this is where we kind of get the thrust of the episode. We are given a ticking clock, um, I think, for like the first time in one of mm-hmm. these specials, where it's like a thing is going to happen. By we the gotta end do of- it before this thing happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's the last day of school tomorrow, and if Charlie Brown doesn't talk to the little red-haired girl before the last day of school, then he's gonna have to sit on his feelings like the rest of us. Like yeah, big deal all summer because then she's being shipped off to the Hunger Games or something. Like I don't understand the geography of this town. Like when I had summer vacation, I still saw all of the kids I went to school with 
Because yeah, surely there's I live like in the same town as them. I, I, I mean, all, all of the scenes that we are dragged through in this special could easily happen at the roller rink or at the skateboarding party or at the right. waiting pool party or the baseball game. Right. You know, there's a, it, it, it. I don't know from how far they're shipping in kids, uh, but it's but for the purpose of this episode, he must talk to her before like noon tomorrow. Or he will never see her again until September. And he's thinking about this so much that he takes a minute to, like, he has a lot of terrible plans in this episode. Yeah. All of which seem to take the place of him just going like, I'll just walk over and talk to her. Although certainly we get a lot of his internal monologue about I'll just walk over and talk to her. Yeah. His first plan is that he is going to write her a note and pass her a note. Then the teacher, Solid, sure. the teacher calls upon him. In the first instance of wah, 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 wah. very exciting, uh, it, it is. It's, it's like the jazz singer, but for meat lumps. <laughs> just scatting, just scatting. A question. <laughs> oh, in the context of meat lumps, scatting sounds terrible. Well, it's better than tromboning. That is the worst. <laughs> Wikipedia, how dare you? The teacher calls on him to give uh, his essay on the mountains and rivers of Africa. Which sounds very expansive. Mm-hmm. It's a big place. Yeah. He then stands up and just throws all of his papers up in the air. Yep. As if to go whoopee. Uh, drops them, picks them up, drops them, picks them up, drops them. Just a ticker tape parade up. of academia. Yeah, it's, it is a mess. Gets up to the front of the class, drops his papers, picks them up, drops the pa- Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, drops papers, picks them up, spring, <laughs> summer, fall. Time lapse of a ticket, a <laughs> clock, the hand spiraling forward yes. as he gets his shit together. <laughs> and then he finally uh, he says, all right, here goes. Dear little red-haired girl, I'm totally into you. And then he's like, oh, I read the wrong thing. This is the first of 90,000 times in the episode for an episode where the thrust is, I need to tell the little red-haired girl how I feel about her. It seems like she. this is brought to her attention 900,000 yeah. times. Yeah. She has definitely figured it out. Uh, Charlie Brown. They laugh him back to his seat. They laugh him back to his seat with the words as if somebody wrote uh, 10 print ha, 20 go to 10. The screen <laughs> fills with ha, 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 ha. And it's, I will, I will say, if you have ever been mocked by a room full of children, uh, that is exactly what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, they nail that absolutely. And Charlie Brown turns bright red and sits back in his seat. And there is his buddy Linus who then leans forward and says, wow, you were a total butt, Charlie Brown. <laughs> like not helpful, not kind, no Bible passage. Yeah. Oh, the Bible passage comes later. Yes. Yes. A stunning return to faith for the Charlie Brown canon. Uh, and then they, uh, and then they all go to, uh, recess. I love this scene. Yeah. <laughs> this whole sequence. I, it is the platonic ideal of what recess should be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got, a, it's got kids on slides. It's got kids on swings. Everyone's super happy. Everybody gets a little character moment. Like, yeah. Pigpen walks through a sandbox and sucks up all the dirt with him as he goes. That's and, beautiful. And you were very excited because this is the garbage twins. The garbage twins are back. Uh, the two, uh, the two dancing, the shining twins, uh, from, uh, from that, Charlie those Brown four cells of dancing from, yeah, the Christmas yeah. special. Uh, uh, and the, there's the flying ace is there playing, uh, volleyball for some reason. Well, I ha- yeah, Snoopy, Snoopy's there. He's playing tetherball in his flying ace getup because branding. Yeah. Um, I guess I, – I wonder if, again, that was like a studio note like, hey, that flying ace stuff, we're gangbusters. So just have him wearing that hat. 
Yeah. And uh, all of the kids like are jumping around and having adventures. Uh, at some point, Snoopy is forcibly ejected by the girls, even though it doesn't seem like he's done particularly anything wrong. No, he was like jump roping with Violet and that was fine. But they court martial him out of the out of the playground. Yeah. Um, and cut, then cut to Charlie Brown sitting on a bench talking to himself. Yeah. For the first Working time. Working himself into an anxiety froth. Of 900,000 times. And Linus is like, well, let me help. And he's like, why don't you go? He says, be sly about it. Go be sly and tell the red-haired girl that I'm into her. But, like, be sly. Like, be cool. And, and, and Linus is like, oh, I'm yeah, 100%. Got this. Goes over to the little red-haired girl, comes back and says, good news, Charlie Brown. I told her you're madly in love with her. And Charlie Brown goes, ah! <laughs> and I made the note, you know what, Linus? Sometimes the best way to help is not at all. Useless. He is useless as a friend. Yeah. To the point where I don't, I don't know why Charlie Brown, I don't know why Charlie Brown spends time with any of these children. But at this point, I especially don't know why he is continuing a friendship with Linus. Well, they're both kind of self-destructive doofuses. And so I feel in that way that they're sort of by default. They're kind of ref- refugees of their own. Kylo and Hux. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which one's Kylo? Charlie Brown. It's Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown's Kylo. Yeah. yeah. Kylo has better hair, though. That is true. Or just hair. <laughs> um, I definitely, me personally, had, I forged unattainable crushes in grade school mm-hmm. because, again, learning from Peanuts, I kind of thought that was what you were supposed to do. Yeah. Like, oh, this is how, if you're a person like me or Charlie Brown, this is how love works. You think about one person all the time, constantly. And focus on how you're a sack of garbage who is right. never going to be good enough and for this you person. you never, ever, ever talk to them. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is patently awful advice, yep. I feel like. And uh, I I wonder if other people are like this. I wonder if they saw Charlie Brown and were like, oh, it's almost like... They give him just enough hope at the end of the episode, at the end of every episode, that it's like, it's okay to be like this. Yeah. I don't know why they rewarded him at the end of this episode. Uh, like, we'll I, get to that. I've actually been in this situation where there was a dude I liked, and it was the last week of school, and I patently steered away from this behavior and just went, hey, dude, I, I've liked you all year, and I hope that's cool, but, you know, we don't have to... I'm not asking you out. I just want you to know. Okay, have a good summer. Bye. And it was great because he went, I'm not into you. And I went, I didn't think so. Enjoy your summer. And that was, it was fine. I really want to believe this is like second or third grade though. I wouldn't. No, <laughs> no, this was like high school, but still. Yes. I mean, well, by that point, you should have a, one should have a better handle on this sort of thing. Yeah. I just like the idea of third grade Molly Lewis going up to somebody and smoking a cigarette for some reason. Like, <laughs> hey, look. Out of a, like a long, like Cruella DeVille cigarette yeah. holder. Look, all right. I'm into you, you're into me, uh, this is happening, it's not either way. Let's smush our faces together. Yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> whatever romance Apparently means in Shermie's voice. Yeah. Hey. Uh, by the way, two episodes. No, Shermie. We see a lot of other kids in this episode. He could have been in any... No, we. I think we would have seen him in those group shots, because his, his head looks like a ball of lint. Absorbed by the lumps. Oh, he's been... He done got lumped. <laughs> Sad, really. Oh, well. This is a note that I made. Nobody will be admitted in the theater during the heart-stopping pen-sharpening routine. Uh, so after recess, Charlie Brown... 
That <laughs> thank you, Mystery Science Theater, for the nobody will be admitted into the theater after the blank bit, uh, because I've been using that as a joke for the last twenty five years. Um, Charlie Brown goes back into class and comes up with another patently terrible plan for talking to the little red haired girl, which is he is going to sharpen his pencil and say, "Nice day, we're having, Madam, <laughs> Milady." He's close. He is. He's real close. It really is. It is a. Th- it's a three-way tie between him, Schroeder, and Linus for who is going to buy the first trilby. <laughs> I'm sure. I feel like one of them canonically does own a trilby at some point. Linus does wear a snappy hat at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Um. But Charlie Brown walks to the pencil sharpener. Holding his pencil in the most eye-removing way possible. And announcing to everybody as he passes, I'm going to go sharpen my pencil. Excuse me. I'm going to sharpen my pencil. (laughs) And it it goes back to what I said in the last episode, which is anytime Charlie Brown experiences joy, it now makes me hate him more. Uh, Happy Charlie Brown. You didn't earn this. Yeah. Just sharpen my pencil. And all the kids are looking at him the way they should, which is. Who cares? Shut your goddamn hole. What are you doing? (laughs) And then he sharpens it, does not say anything to the little red-haired girl, walks back, and Linus is like, and on top of being terrible at everything, you sharpened your ballpoint pen. Yeah. Oh, and Linus is like, basically asks like, when's the wedding? So you guys did it work? Oh, what, oh, what is it? His exact words are something like, what did you say? And what, what did, did she, she say, say when you said what you said? And what did you say? And it's immortal with the pestle and the vessel. And it's just like, Linus, you stop it. Stop being clever. Everybody take it down a notch. <laughs> and then he is asked questions about spelling, uh, starts to go into the I before E rule, and then falls into a K-hole. He does. Like, it is a very, it's a very weird transition in a series of specials that don't generally do very weird transitions. Like the screen fills with like vertigo loops. Um, and all that it's missing is like a slide whistle and a theremin and Charlie <laughs> Brown waking up 20 years later in a hospital bed. I, the two quotes I wrote down for this scene are Charlie Brown says, why are little red haired girls so hard to meet as if this has happened to him before. And then he says, I'll impress her with my friendliness, which is just the trilbiest thing. <laughs> Just everything about this, your conduct is gross. He's, he is, he is just terrible. So we throw to, uh, what I think is like the end of school, uh, and, uh, oh, no, 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 no. Charlie, we're back to Charlie Brown on a bench. Yeah. He Th- says, those kids sure look like they're having fun. I wish they liked me. Nobody likes me. And this, at this point, I wrote the note to take a drink every time he says the phrase little red haired girl. <laughs> But in this scene, he throws us the curveball of also saying that little girl with the red hair. It's also important to note that this school seems to have two to five recesses a day. Mm-hmm. It was the uh, 60s. <laughs> because it, we assume this all takes place on the same day. Oh, yeah. They keep reminding us like, well, tomorrow's the last day of school. Yeah. I wonder, and is, then we'll only have eight more days of school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with 42 recesses. School seems to be recess. Charlie Brown is made a fool of. Yeah. Recess. Welcome back to class, Charlie Brown. Would you like to fuck up in front of everybody? <laughs> you're, the only, you're the only student we ever call on, Charlie Brown. Uh, so it's Charlie Brown sitting on a bench yet again, moaning about his peanut butter sandwich yet again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the little red-haired girl looks at him, 
So his response. Well, Linus walks not before Linus walks up and says, "You're depressed, aren't you?" <laughs> like, oh, finally somebody said it. Yeah. <laughs> now you know. Um, and so he, yeah, he's looking at the little red-haired girl, and he's like, "Oh, she looked at me. She's coming towards me. What do I do?" And he turns into Squiggle Vision. And then puts a bag over his head. Yeah. He puts a bag. He, it's just like, and this seems to be, uh, between him and Linus, the, uh, accepted defense for a girl looking at them. Because elsewhere, <laughs> elsewhere in the episode, oh, during the big recess, the first of nine recesses that day, uh, Sally is chasing after Linus. So he throws a blanket over his head and walks through a active swing set. Yep. Unscathed. Um, unscathed. That's what it's like. Oh, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Mm-hmm. These are not bright children. No. So Charlie Brown throws a uh, paper bag over his head, which must have a little like spandex or something in it because it does not look like that bag should fit over his head. Mm-mm. But it does. Or maybe his head – maybe maybe his head is car- cartilaginous. Cartilaginous? Whatever. Yeah. Because how, how, could, how could he fit into his shirts in the morning? That's probably it. They're all just like newborn babies. So I think probably whatever industrial accident they had in this town – Maybe they've just their bones have never developed. We've we've given this a lot. None of this will go in the episode. No. Anyway, so Charlie Brown <laughs> shoves a brown paper bag over his cartilaginous head, right? Uh, and bumps immediately <laughs> into Lucy, who's like, "What the fuck, kid?" Uh, he takes the bag off of his head and does the thing that never makes any sense to me in any of these episodes. He tells Lucy what's bothering him. Yeah. He says, I can't do it. I can't face a little red-haired girl. And he says something about, like, I get intimidated talking to pretty girls. And in this point, I think they just went, well, Lucy doesn't really have any character notes for this episode. Let's just recycle them from the Christmas special. Uh, she she runs after him and is like, but I'm a pretty girl. Why can you talk to me? You're talking to me right now. Why is it okay to talk to me? What about the Christmas queen? She actually does say, I was the Christmas queen. As if people were going, as if any child was going to remember now two years ago. Yeah. The last time they're all going to be like, eh. maybe they were like, oh, now that we've somehow excised Frida from this universe. Because again, she, if she's there, she doesn't do anything and certainly does not say her famous catchphrase about her naturally curly hair. No Shermie, no Frida. They're just 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 popping them off. <laughs> they're just the, just they're thin just, in the herd. Just sucked into lumps. But Lucy wants again. Lucy wants Charlie Brown. First of all, she hates Charlie Brown with every atom in her body, which he should know by now. So he should never talk to her. But she also wants him to tell her that she is pretty. Well, because here's the th- here's the here's the break between these scenes. Um, Charlie Brown's like, well, I just can't talk to the little red haired girl. Because she's pretty. And Lucy's like, but I'm pretty. Why can't you talk to me? I'm pretty. And then the next scene, the first line, is Lucy walking up to Charlie Brown after school and going, hello, stupid. I can't tell you how much joy that brings me. (laughs) That's literally the next scene. Linus and Charlie Brown are walking home. Violet and Lucy walk up to them. They shout, is it Lucy or Violet who says it? I'm pretty sure it's Lucy. Hello, stupid. Which is just like. That should have been her catchphrase. Yeah. Like she was basically, she basically cemented herself. They were trying to make that the new naturally curly hair. Yeah. That, she cemented herself as the Don Rickles of the Peanuts gang. Hello, yeah. dummy. Um, it's, it is such naked hatred. And I feel like it is the first time that unprovoked one of the kids has just gone up to Charlie Brown and just. It's malice. Yeah. It really is. Just dreadful. Like in Charlie Brown All Stars, there's some like belly aching, like, oh no, no here comes here. Charlie Brown. Right. We're doomed. But this is the first time that somebody has pointed at him and gone, 
awful. They've gone out of their way. They've stopped in front of him. Yeah, um, dummy. And then Linus tries to come to Charlie Brown's defense and say, you know, Charlie Brown's not as stupid as he looks. He's just upset. I'll have you know that Charlie Brown's in love. And then they break into another garbage song. They, well, they, it's the same garbage song from the opening credits, only whereas the first one was like, poor little Charlie Brown, you're, you know, you're going to make it dummy. Yeah. Jerk. Uh, well, they, but it's like the nice version. And then they sing like the bullying playground version of it. Yeah. And it's like nobody loves you. Your head's big and you're bald and your yeah, bones are made of cartilage or whatever. And your, your shirt is ugly and your face is ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, they it's so terrible. It's like it is like nails on a chalkboard, especially because it goes something like poor little Charlie Charlie's Brown. Nyan, 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 nyan. Nyan. Who could love that frown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Who could love you? No one that's who. Your face is too darn round. Yeah. And then they run away. It is terrible. And Linus tries to stick up for him. But then again, for the 4,800th time in this episode, spills the beans to everyone that Charlie Brown is in love with the little red hair. And Linus is, he should know. And Lucy is his sister. He should know not to trust her with that information. Yes. Um, And then we have a... A seven-day sojourn where Charlie Brown walks home from school, um, and the town seems to expand and contract of its own accord. Like, sometimes Charlie Brown can walk to school in two minutes. Other times it is he needs a bus. Other times he walks for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Uh, but there is a lot of him talking to himself and hiding behind trees. At one point, he walks over the horizon – his voice trails off and you're like, oh, they're going to throw it a commercial or something. Mm-hmm. Nope. They just cut to the next scene where he is still talking to himself. He sees the little red-haired girl, hides behind a tree. It's like the special goes, we'll catch up with you later, Charlie. Oh, okay, he's back. Here you are, yep. Yeah. Eh. He, he hides behind a tree, sees the little red-haired girl, talks about how great it would be to hold hands with her, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think – other than just sort of mooning around somebody and leaning your head on them while little hearts appear. Like, this is the first instance that we have of somebody being like, this is a thing that happens when you're in love. Mm -hmm. When you're in love, you hold hands. Fine and dandy, but then the last thing he says in sort of a voice like this is he's like, I bet her hands are real soft and cool. And it's just like, ugh. (laughs) Also, what does that mean about his hands? Yeah. Does that mean his hands are like, sandpapery and and hot well we don't know the nature of the industrial accident that melted all the adults so maybe <laughs> all that everyone's skin is like a cat's tongue it's just it's kind of creepy in the same way that the all-stars bikini party is creepy just like i don't want there to be any sensual anything like i don't want them to talk about food tasting good like i don't want that's a bit much. No, I Why just, can't they talk about food tasting good? It's just any kind of because, like carnal pleasure is not something I want in this universe at all. It's bad enough that they know what a beach bunny is. That that yes. that is in some vague orbit around this town. You know, it, 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 just, it makes my skin crawl. It's not creepy that he wants to hold hands with her, certainly. No, but but, but reflecting on like what her hands would feel the, like. The touch of her skin. Yeah. It's, ugh, it's terrifying. And then we uh, – and then the producers of the episode are basically like, wow, we have been focused on this plot for minutes. Better bring it to a screeching halt. Going to the Snoopy Inkwell a little too many times. Let's give Sally a star turn. Yep. With the thing – that with a scene that basically is like, 
hey, the episode's running a minute short. Well, because Charlie Brown walks back into his house and says, this has been the worst day of my life. And I'm thinking, like, really, Charlie Brown? Like, let's go, let's evaluate your choices so far. Yeah, all of your days, all of your days are terrible, yeah, Charlie yeah. Brown. <laughs> so Charlie Brown walks into his house, just like, another stupid day in fucktown or whatever. And, uh, and there is Sally dressed in a ill-fitting cap and gown, mm-hmm. uh, marching back and forth to the valedictorian waltz. What is that? Pomp and circumstance. Pomp and cir- I'm, I'm pretty sure it's called the valedictorian waltz, waltz Molly. Uh, <laughs> she, and it's in 4-4. Four, four. And, and this is where we have a, a stunning return to the Charlie Brown Christmas special mm-hmm. where everyone's response to any new stimulus is immediate anger. What's going on here? What are you doing? What is this? And she explains that she's having uh, kindergarten graduation. She is the class valedictorian. For kindergarten, which yeah. is very competitive. <laughs> she's really smart. And I think I... And Charlie Brown is basically just like, this is garbage. Well, because she, I wrote down her, because she was talking about how she had to deliver a speech to her class, and she said, should I talk about the role our generation will play in world affairs, or maybe I could discuss the failure of the present generation to carry out its responsibilities? Boy, and that is a conversation we are, st- from generation to generation, we are still having to this day. <laughs> it is maybe one I don't of- know how many kindergarten valedictorian speeches I've heard that. No, but I just mean, you know, of course. Oh, that old story, yawn. The teachers are like pushing the, the minute hand on the clock for the really quick. Let's just get them out of here. No, I, I just meant like, it's, that's a funny thing to write in 1967, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is an even funnier thing today because it's one of those things that it's just like, oh, we're never going to figure this out. No. We are always going to be arguing between generations like, we don't need to do it. You should have done it, you failures. Yeah. They don't give Charlie Brown enough words. No. So what it seems like he's doing is like he's just so bummed out that anyone's joy is poison to him. So That he, happens he, a couple times to different people in this episode. Yeah. Because he walks out of his house and he says, kindergarten, cap and gown, graduation, I can't stand it, which is... Kind of an extreme, like he's just kind of picking, like, oh, these are these are just things I saw. Oh, I'm mad, like, I not any. I kind of feel like, and again, what it just seems, and it also seems like the way that he reacts, it would seem like everybody in this episode has been talking about kindergarten graduation or something, <laughs> right? Um, I, the, my sister got valedictorian. I can't stand it. The second, ah. t- the second time I watched it through, I. I have heard parents complaining about the concept of like kindergarten graduation or first grade graduation. Sure. It's a bit a little silly and kind of ties into the whole like everyone gets a prize culture, which I guess has been making people angry for decades upon decades. <laughs> sure. Uh, so maybe that's what Charlie Brown is raging against. But anyway, you slice it. His sister was having a delightful time and he thought it was garbage. Yeah. And it only makes me look at Charlie Brown and go like, you're horrible. Yeah. Well, because he, because I don't know if we're, we're a couple scenes. No, this is the next scene. Lucy get, gets in sort of a scuff with Schroeder, turns around, takes it out on Charlie Brown. Yeah. And I kind of didn't see the symmetry in that until just now. Charlie Brown having a crappy day, takes it out on his sister. Lucy having a crappy day, takes it out on Charlie Brown. And I feel that kind of balances the scales a yes. little bit. Um, all of these people have no idea how to deal with their emotions. So, of course... The next best thing is to lash out is at to each lash other. out at other people. Yep. So Charlie Brown, having been berated by Lucy for not thinking she's pretty, and then having Lucy call him "hello, stupid," and making up a spontaneous song 
which, by the way, both Lucy and Violet know the words to. Yeah. Which means that maybe they've been workshopping it for a while and we're just waiting for the appropriate time for it to come out. After Lucy treats Charlie Brown like the sad shit heel that he is, Charlie Brown's like, man, I really need some help. I better go talk to Lucy. <laughs> which... It's never a good idea. It's never a good idea. And it makes me wonder if for some reason, like when Lucy sits behind the psychiatrist booth, it is a given that she is a different person or this is like part of... It's the same men in black machine that Sally went through. (laughs) Or if that like... Oh, let's go play psychiatrist. And I have, to, and you're playing. Do you know what She's I mean? She's bound by oath to try and help. <laughs> um, and there is, uh, there is, I think for me, besides hello stupid, it's one of the few gags that actually works. Uh, the, the one addition that has been made to the uh, psychiatrist booth, besides the fact that summer rates are four cents instead of five cents, mm-hmm. which just seems like a pain in the ass because somebody's going to have to have a shitload of pennies for this to work. She probably doesn't make change. Probably not. Maybe it's a tip. Who knows? Uh, she does have a box of hideously outdated magazines, which for 1967, I think that's a pretty funny joke. That's a pretty good go. Uh, for, he, he picks up a magazine and is like, Parade Magazine, 1937. I was like, that's pretty funny. But of course, Lucy is not there because, uh, for the first time since I th- think Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, we hit the Lucy and Schroeder uh, uh, relationship again. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, two episodes in a row now where Schroeder does not open his stupid, hateful mouth. Yep. Uh, he merely sits there and plays the piano and Lucy launches into a flight of fancy about their life together mm-hmm. as pianist and pianist's wife, which sounds like it could be the plot of like, I would it, watch that special. I would watch, I, well, that, it reminded me of like Magnificent Obsession or one of the, like, one of those 1930s to 1950s Douglas Sirky type melodramas. Cause that's a you did this to yourself, Lucy moment. Cause she's saying, wouldn't it be great if we got married and you became a world famous pianist and you toured with orchestras and we went to foreign cities and then you broke both your arms in a skiing accident and I had to go work in a laundry to support the both of us? Wouldn't that be so romantic? But this scenario that Lucy has constructed could totally be a Turner Classic movie movie. Yeah. Whereas in Charlie Brown Christmas, Lucy is sort of like, hey, Schroeder, I'm into you. And he's like, girls, only Beethoven. You're stupid. <laughs> this is where the, the tables have turned and Lucy is a cuckoo bird. Yeah. Like, and he seems prepared. It seems like this is just yeah. their, their, their rhythm. Yeah, she pitches him this entire uh, scenario, which ends with both of his arms being tragically broken and her working in a laundromat, which to her is a happy ending. Uh, and when he's not like, yeah, that sounds great. This, uh, let's get, let's start right. Why don't you just break my arms right now? Um, she picks up the bust of Beethoven. No, because he he goes and retrieves a bust of Beethoven right. from who knows where and puts it between her and him. And she goes, you and your stupid Beethoven, and takes the bust and destroys his piano, which I think we can agree. Is an overreaction. That is that is not great behavior. No, um, um, it's uh, and it is it's too bad because now that we're watching these specials, sort of on a you know one after the other, Lucy seemed like she was doing so much better. Yeah, but in, she really kind of comes unhinged. Yeah, and then the other joke that I think works because I also I think I remember this from the strip. She smashes the piano with the Beethoven bust. Schroeder does not blink. He goes to closet one. Filled with 
pianos mm-hmm. stacked up to heaven uh and uh and and puts that down and then goes to his beethoven bust closet filled with beethoven busts yeah. and puts that on his piano and then just goes back to business and lucy's like well i've been beat mm-hmm. you know this is terrible never talk of, is it that seems like one of the upsides of this sort of world without adults that has kind of been constructed is I think any reasonable parent would be like, well, Lucy can't come over anymore. She destroyed your piano. Right. But there's kind of this last man on earth kind of scenario where, you know, like, have you, have you seen last man on earth? Yeah. Yeah. You know how he just gathers all the fish tanks in town and drives through them. It seems like one of those, like Schroeder just at some point corralled every piano for sale in town and just keeps it in his house and for eventualities ev- such as this one. And every bust of Beethoven. Every bust of town? Beethoven. Yeah. Went to the, <laughs> the bust of Beethoven store. Composer Mart. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Hennessy, do you have any busts of Beethoven? No? Could you order some? Thank you. <laughs> Your usual thousand, Schroeder? Yes, thank you, Mr. Hennessy. Like Hennessey. a case of Beethoven's, please. And then him and Hennessy talk about how much girls and dogs don't belong in this world. <laughs> yeah, Schroeder hates dogs and girls. It's true. Yeah, it's that's true. Canon. So Lucy is now furious and makes some sort of reference about how she shouldn't ever talk about love with a musician. Mm-hmm. Goes to quote-unquote, help Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown, by the way, gets terrible advice, but he never pays for it. So I feel real good about that. No, he paid for it in the Christmas special. Yeah. But also walked himself around to his own advice. Yes. Really. Um, and uh, so Lucy then just yells at Charlie Brown about how men are all the same because they don't want to talk about marriage. Yeah, well, I think I wrote that one down. Oh, you, you it's men like you that make the world a rough place to live for beautiful girls like me. Um, and Charlie Brown sort of wanders away and she's not done shouting. And then she yells, my aunt Marion was right. Never Never talk about love with a musician. Yep. Um, and now immediately I want to know everything about my aunt Marion. Of course, naturally, uh, I immediately thought of Marion call and I think I'm just going to make that canon now. Um, I don't know why. She's the only Marion I know. Uh, I thought it was Miriam. Oh, I thought she said Marion. No, because they there's an Aunt Miriam that they mention in the musical. Oh, yeah, because that that's a that that uh, line they call back to in the you know something Schroeder song. My Aunt Miriam was right. All right, all right then. Cut all we, of this part. We can just make it Miriam Call, who is the like Mary Sue version of Marion who lives in this universe. <laughs> well, no, it's but that's the thing about Miriam is that I I want to know everything about Miriam. She's we, lived a colorful life. She it sounds like she's lived a colorful life. It <laughs> sounds like she has a lot of experience dating musicians, which in 1967 is not it's a winning interesting, pro- yeah, not a winning proposition. And also, uh, yeah, I. I, I picture Miriam having, you know what? She's maybe a little like a cross between Phyllis and Rhoda Morgenstern, both from the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of big floral prints. Uh, definitely menthol cigarettes. Definitely some kind of Chablis. What, uh, I don't think she would be a trombone. What brass instrument would represent Aunt Miriam? <laughs> um, I think just like a coronet. <laughs> I don't want to believe that Aunt Miriam is a lump. Maybe No, I don't think she lives in town. Yeah, so she's fine. Yeah. Great. Some different industrial accident. (laughs) She comes into town and, like, you know, moistens the lumps and then, you know, complains about musicians to Lucy. Yeah. And Lucy's like, please take me with you. And she's like, yeah, absolutely not. I'm Mm -mm. out of here. Not where I'm going. (laughs) She's headed to Woodstock. (laughs) 
so so that ends. Uh, and then the next thing we throw to is Charlie Brown, I think just sitting around his house talking about how terrible he is. Probably yeah. says Little Red Girl 92 times. Do you and- think uh, Lucy's sort of chewing out like, you scoundrels all are like, is what women sound like to Trilby's? Trilby's <laughs> like Charlie Brown? Um, I, I think that if you are predisposed to think that women are not particularly great, the Charlie Brown specials are not going to do a lot to change your mind about Mm-mm. that. I don't think so. Uh, and we've we've certainly talked about this in the past, and we will continue to talk about it because it will always be weird. Speaking of problematic women, Peppermint Patty makes an appearance. Uh, introduced in the strip the year before, he read on Wikipedia five minutes before this episode and passed off as his own knowledge. Uh, yeah. And this is her uh, this is her debut animated. Um, and she is, I will say, in this episode, a goddamn breath of fresh air. She is. Um, and she gets... There's no big fanfare. There's no big baseball game. It's just like the phone rings. It's terrible writing, quite frankly. No. Because it's just like the phone rings and it's like, hey, everybody, here's a brand new character. But I guess the assumption is if she was introduced the year before in the strip, we've all been briefed. I wonder how much they assume that people watching the TV specials are also following the strips. I, I have to assume they they thought it was a Venn diagram that looked like a perfect circle. Okay. Um, because one fed into the other. Right. You know, you read the strips and then twice a year there's a special. Um, so we get Peppermint Patty who is like, hey, Chuck, what's up? And, you know, and Charlie Brown's like, Chuck, because it's always – even though Peppermint Patty calls him the same thing every time, it is still a surprise to him. Yeah. Because he has the memory of Dory from Finding Nemo. Um, and she makes up some just like – very in character, certainly for the animated version of Peppermint Patty. She calls Charlie Brown to tell him that something, basically to phrase it like a question like, want to get together? I'm going to come over right now. And we're going, and I'm going to look at your baseball team. Yeah. Or something. Something. We watched it twice in a row and I'm still not entirely sure what her impetus was. Yeah. Maybe she wanted to join the team or something. I mean, I think she'd be a better team captain manager than Charlie Brown. Oh, and, that, and canonically, that's yeah. true, because I'm pretty sure she's the manager of the other team. Oh, that would explain why he's lost a zillion games, though. Yeah. Um, so she comes over, and Charlie Brown is just standing at the baseball field, and none of the other team members are there, and she's like, let me look at the team. And he, <laughs> it's the... God, it's I terrible. wasn't sure about that. Like, did they? Did he lure her over under false pretenses? Like, sure, come look at my team. Actually, it's a girl. Like, no, I no. think before he had an opportunity to say, "What are you talking about?" She was like, "I'm doing this." Bye. And when we get to the Thanksgiving episode, that you that's kind of her mo. Yeah, yeah, her mo is just like, "Hey, is it cool if I do this?" Well, okay, great. Here I and now here I am, and uh, she's. She, I like her because she introduces pure chaos into this universe. Oh, absolutely! Into in a way that no other characters do. Even she's Snoopy. totally rogue. Yeah, yeah. No, she she's rogue, and unlike literally everyone else in this universe, she actually wants to help. You know what I yeah. mean? As opposed to Linus, who sort of does it half-assedly, she's sort of more of the "if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it." School, right. which is just like, what's going on? What's this? also? I, I wrote down. She talks like a Runyon character for some reason. <laughs> uh, where's your team? I want to look them over. Oh, an affair to more, eh? Break the ice, you slide dog. She ends every sentence with a, and it's like eventually she's just going to turn into yeah. Eric Idle from the Nudge Nudge sketch. You say this girl is in your class, eh? She won't give you a tumble, eh? She won't give, give you, you a tumble. tumble. I know. What? 
God, I hope they're talking about social media. I hope that... <laughs> I hope Peppermint Patty and Aunt Miriam meet somewhere in the expanded universe. <laughs> I think they'd have a lot to talk about. <laughs> and she won't give me a tumble. Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix all of this. Um, without Charlie... Again, without Charlie Brown asking, like, I could sure use your help. Here's the other thing. Charlie Brown and... And I relate to this because there are two kinds of people, I feel like. People who, when they are having a problem, just sort of keep it to themselves. Yep. And people who are like, hey, how's it going, Josh? Well, I hurt my ankle real bad and I had norovirus and blah, blah, blah. And here's everything. Which I th- which I feel like is a distinctly New Englandy thing mm-hmm. uh, to like, how you doing? Well, here's everything that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so, But Charlie Brown tells everybody. In this episode that he has a crush on the little red-haired girl, whether that will help his situation Including the not. little red-haired girl several times. Yes. She had to have been an earshot. Yeah, exactly. So so Lucy's like, hey, yeah, I'm I'm Harvey Keitel for Pulp Fiction. I'm going to fix this for you, eh? Hey, <laughs> all right. Lady Shermie, that's going. <laughs> yeah, she, she has assumed Shermie's personality. And then she immediately goes over to Lucy. Yep. Without asking who this girl is. Yeah, and... <laughs> for all the times that Charlie Brown says little red-haired girl in this episode, 24, I counted, um, he doesn't, it doesn't come up in this conversation with Peppermint Patty. And I feel like it would have been useful for him, because then maybe she would not have identified Lucy as the potential, as the girl in question. Right. If he had just said, oh, this girl with red hair, oh, by process of elimination, that's everybody but Lucy. Yes. Like, even Frida would be... A more appropriate choice. But of course, again, he does not. She's say been lumped. Yeah. He did. <laughs> you've been, and for those reasons, we had to lump you. Uh, <laughs> you've been lumped. I, uh, but does that mean, and I, I don't want, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to get into any kind of non canonical things that people have made <laughs> up about characters over the years. Right. But does that mean that is Lucy the first person that, Peppermint Patty sees, or does she just assume that Lucy is the prettiest? Mm. I wonder if, she, well, she, I don't know if, if she knows, she doesn't know that Lucy is on the team, I guess. She hasn't seen the baseball team. So but she maybe... knows her by name. She calls her Lucille. Lucille, that's true. Because she gets everybody's names wrong, or right. I mean, that is, I assume, what Lucy is short for. Um, but... Maybe it's because that is the person that she sees Charlie, the woman Charlie Brown talks to the most, even though their relationship is based entirely in icy cold hatred. Yeah, but uh, presumably Peppermint Patty lived in another town and wouldn't have seen that dynamic. Just but they, but they, one can assume that they have played against each other. I guess is my point. Yeah, she knows Lucy's name. She know she recognizes Lucy by sight. I think that Peppermint Patty name. made the reasonable conclusion of, well, this girl that Charlie Brown knows is probably the girl in question, and not this girl that he saw for a split second going by on a right. bus, or not Violet, or not Frida, or not Patty, or yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and of course, she was the Christmas queen. So she goes. Lest we forget. She lest we all forget. <sighs> she said Christmas queen. So she goes up to Lucy and says. Hey, Lucille, she might as well be like flipping a coin and chewing on a toothpick. Hey, girly, Lucille, I got a little something I got to tell you. Oh, and she she does not say Charlie Brown's name, but what she does say is that I, unless I misheard this twice, she said, I, there's this real cultured guy. Yeah. Which is, a, I love Peppermint Patty. 
She is a gigantic pain in the ass and a total chaos muppet, but she's just wonderful. She just talks <laughs> like this elevated way that nobody else talks. I know this real cultured guy, but he's a shy boots. And, you know, she drops all of this lingo on Lucy. And Lucy, for someone, she, I, you know what? I, this just occurred to me. She, she says cultured, says, is afraid to tell you how he feels. We have to assume that maybe Lucy thinks that Patty's, Peppermint Patty's talking about Schroeder. Yeah. Although she never says it. I guess that, that she never says, oh, it must be Schroeder. But it's not. It's just like, there's a guy, he's into you, and meet him by the baseball field. Yeah. And, and Lucy is immediately like, all right, person who doesn't even get my name right, I trust you implicitly. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of both Charlie Brown and Lucy problematic assumptions all around. Yeah, it's it's a giant mess. Um, and so we uh, we throw it to the baseball field at six thirty, and uh, Charlie Brown looks very snappy. Yeah, he's wearing a white shirt and a yellow tie. A tourniquet has a tie. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of those like it's one of those like little square, square bottom flat ended ties. Yeah, very hip. It's very nice. It's it's probably knit. It's uh, I think yeah. I think whenever I see those squarish ties, they're always generally knit. I don't yeah. know. It's a nice look. It goes against our theory that there's no other clothing uh, in this town, but maybe there is like one nice shirt and tie that's just passed around for special occasions. Maybe. Also, we have theorized that all of these children live in the same house. So yeah, it could be that could be the house dressing good Sunday go to meet and shirt. You just rifle through a different house. Yeah, I kind of assumed it was. I mean, canonically, there's probably like a department store in this town that I think we go to eventually in uh, the Easter, Easter Beagle. Yeah, Easter Beagle. Yes, but um, um there's just I assumed it was just like a strip cut off the bottom of a shirt, like when you need to make a tourniquet in an emergency. <laughs> you know, because well, it was yellow. So, it was like Charlie it, Brown's committed to this color. It's his color story. Yeah. It's branding. They're all very branding positive. The sun is in just a position that we only see Lucy's silhouette. And he does not mistake it for the Great Pumpkin. He does not mistake Yes, exactly. Uh, in the last episode, Snoopy was backlit and Linus was like, oh, that's obviously that's a, a giant, giant pumpkin. pumpkin. And uh, Lucy, who has probably one of the most identifiable silhouettes outside of Charlie Brown in this universe with her very distinctive hair and very distinctive dress and very distinctive bow. Like, that's obviously Lucy. But Charlie Brown's like, oh, God, there she is. And, like, closes his eyes and turns bright red and stumbles over to home plate. And then they look at each other and they both go, you. And that's it. Then cut to commercial. It has been. And that has been, like, 45 minutes of setup for, like, the two of them looking at each other. Yeah. My only notes for that scene were, yep, sure. <laughs> my, here are my notes. Wacky hijinks with Lucy. They hate each other. <laughs> That's the joke. Yeah. And then Charlie Brown goes home, gets into a double bed that he shares with his dog, sets his alarm. Would you, would you, exp- you were like, he, are we just going to overlook the fact that he shares a bed with his dog? And I'm like, I don't, don't, doesn't your, does your cat sleep in your bed with you? Well, yeah, but I don't have like, we don't have a pillow just for her. You know, it's not like this three abreast bed. <laughs> pillow for Ben, pillow it's for like me, the, pillow for Sumi. It's like the monkeys that you all sleep in the same bed. It's with like the, the, hats. the grandparents from Charlie yeah. and the Chocolate Factory. Yes, but yes, he 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 does have his own sleeping cap and dedicated portion of the bed. And Charlie Brown, his alarm, his clock is set to four thirty, so it's four thirty in the afternoon, I guess, and he's going to bed. Yep, it's uh, it's uh, yes, and he comes up. 
He rolled. Well, I had. I actually had a theory about that. Uh, Forty four thirty five is when the accident happened. Oh, the event. <laughs> yeah. Don't think about the event. Although that is uh, discounted by a clock. You know what they weren't great with? They were great with blandishing back then. Not super great with continuity. continuity no. no, they didn't. They had not invented continuishment yet. So according to his clock, it's four thirty-five in the afternoon. Pitch blackout because that is when the that is when the cloud of toxins descends on the town, and he comes up. With his last and absolute worst plan yet, <laughs> which is this. He is going to set, he's going to get up as early as humanly possible. Turns out to be 4.35 in the morning. So he sleeps a full t- 12 hours and go wait at the bus stop until the little red haired girl gets there and then talk to her. And so that's what he does. And he wakes up at the other 4.35, dresses, sleepily wanders to the bus stop, which because this town oddly, it's like the Winchester house. It just goes in every direction and just expands and contracts as needed. It seems like it's a 40 mile walk to the bus stop. Right. Um, but some lovely sunrise shots, mm-hmm. including a lovely shadow cast across uh, Charlie Brown's face as he's like walking by a church or something. Very nice. A very Fritz Langish. And then he gets to the bus stop. Uh, it's way too early. Way he too early. Sits down, falls asleep on the bus stop. No one says anything. No like cop goes like, hey, child, get off this bus stop. Yep. Um, How could he? And then a bunch of children line up, get on the bus. Bus t- honks its horn and then takes off, which seems like insult to injury. Yeah. And we see the forearm of an adult or maybe just a tall child. We don't know. Yeah. Driving the bus. And the bus pulls away and Charlie, then like, Charlie Brown wakes up and is like, oh, no, bus. Oh, goof it again. But. Why do these things keep happening to me? Yeah. It's yeah, it's a mystery, Charlie Brown. <laughs> why why all of, why your stupid, terrible plans. Desti- and by the way, there is that sure, before Shermie was absorbed by a lump after uh, Charlie Brown All-Stars, <laughs> he does say you must get some neurotic pleasure in constantly failing. And we really. And that was too close to home. And so Charlie, Charlie Brown pushed him, him into a, a lump. lump. There it is. Shit. Uh, <laughs> so now Charlie Brown, who walked to school in the beginning of the episode, yep. is now late for school. He misses impossibles his way over a fence. <laughs> he does, which is, again, a nice little An sequence. An impressive little shimmy. And again, sort of, that is exactly, he pushes on the front door of the school and it says, Click. Like the big, the onomatopoetic word pops up like in a Batman thing, right. uh, Batman series. And that is, again, exactly what I, 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 you were probably a much better student than I, but that is exactly what it feels like when you show up to school late and you do not, and it's your own goddamn fault. Yeah. Sneaks in, sits down, and Linus says, hey, it looks like you're late, Charlie Brown. And then that's when the teacher calls on him. Well, because the teacher calls on him. And, you know, just kind of goes like, hey, Charlie Brown, why are you late? But in, in trombone. And Charlie Brown, it kind of is he's flustered and he's kind of like, well, you know, ma'am, I'm, I, you know, I'm sorry that I'm tardy. Why am I tardy? Because I missed the stupid bus, which is, I would say, an overreaction. Yes. I think and we can agree. I made the note. This is the first time that we see breaking into a blind rage for no reason can have real world ramifications. <laughs> like, because <laughs> this true. is the way these kids talk to each other constantly. Well, because he... He yells at his teacher and then immediately goes, oh, I really did it this time. And it's it's so frustrating because Charlie Brown's whole sort of arc through this whole thing, all of his sort of talking to himself, his narration, 
is like, well, I guess I'm helpless to, I guess I can't talk to the red-haired girl. I guess nobody will sit with me. I, and he has, he has no agency. He has no, there, there's no, like, moment of reckoning, like, well, I did this to myself. Right. You know, he's just like, well, how did I get in the principal's office? They're all outside playing and I'm inside. Like, well, Charlie Brown, you flipped out at your teacher because you woke up at four in the morning and you fell asleep at the bus stop and you, this is, there's, a cascading chain of failure that you're just in the middle of. You're not even at the end of it yet. <laughs> only and only the sweet release of death will I hear final failure. He gets sent to the principal's office. He stands outside the door and recites some Bible passage in his head. Just you know, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death or whatever. <laughs> yes. And my note for this is just what the hap is fucking right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He talks to the secretary and explains himself yet again and then goes into the principal's office, takes a minute to look out the window and see children playing. Oh, little red-haired girl's outside. I'm inside. Like Charlie Brown. Just accept accept the consequences of what you've done for once. Yeah. For once. Nope. Nope. And then makes small talk with the principal, which is actually kind of funny. How are you and the PTA getting along? Um, He says, I guess I yelled at my teacher. I didn't mean to yell at her. Oh, but you did. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. I guess I, I yelled, yelled at, at my teacher. No, Charlie Brown. You yelled. You yelled at your teacher. You know you yelled at your teacher. Ugh. Yeah. They're all – these are at the very least sociopaths. You can see I, I just kind of wanted him to get hit by a bus, you know. It just would have been a lot easier on everybody. <laughs> now, to, to take a step back and to be fair to Charlie Brown, the other children treat him abominably. Right. And it, I mean, it's it's understandable that if this is how they've treated him the entire year, he'd be like, I wish people liked me. I don't like peanut butter. I don't like sitting by myself. But the yelling at the teacher thing is squarely your fault. That can't oh, be no, passed no, no, off no, no, on no. anybody Honestly, else. There's, there's two things. There's the yelling at the teacher, which is squarely his fault. He's just kind of – he's just sort of – divested himself of any agency over anything that happens to him. No, like, he is only, so thoroughly divorced from my, reality. My only point is is that it's a kind of vicious circle, that Charlie Brown does self-defeating stupid things. The kids are really terrible to him, mm-hmm. like over the moon, beyond... Hello, the, stupid. Yeah, yeah, they are hello, stupid to him, which makes him feel even more terrible, and nobody's getting out of this. And, and- the, Linus, who thinks he has his back, doesn't have his back at all. Yeah. And really, the only thing that gets anybody out of this is that everybody seems to be the equal part miserable. Yeah. Like, everybody's the same amount of miserable. So, he makes some small talk with the principal. He goes back. Apparently suffers no consequences. No consequences. In fact, gets to miss some of class, which is fine. Comes back. Uh, Comes back. Is immediately asked to do a complicated math question. Says to nobody, well, if I do this right, the little red-haired girl will be completely into this now. Um, and she'll be impressed by how smart I am. Which is almost Rushmore-like. Yeah. Is the note I made. Um, um, and then goes up to the board, does like some beautiful mind type shit, which really then brings up the question like, how much of this is real? How much of any of this is real? Because it's like it's kind of like what that what he uh, scrawled on his window in the middle of his first schizophrenic breakdown in college. Well, uh, and 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 just Charlie Brown's it, it doesn't seem like it takes a lot to motivate him, but it's so kind of short sighted the things that kind of keep him strung forward. Because like, why did he do anything before he met the little red haired girl? Like, well, I'm going to get up and sharpen my pencil, and maybe the little red haired girl will notice. I'm going to do this math equation. Maybe the little red haired girl will be impressed, and like. 
in All Stars. It was well, I'm gonna maybe we'll they'll be excited that we don't have uniforms. Like, why yeah. was he pressing forward on these other nine thousand games? It's sh- it's shortcuts. Yeah. He's looking. He is looking for a quick fix, as opposed to staring into the deep dark truthful mirror and just going like. I, I am staring into the abyss, and it is I. This is this is all my existence will be. Yeah, it's, dis, let, it's just a long chain of disappointments. Yes, and letdowns. Um, so he goes up. He does the math problem. We will put a picture. Actually, I would like to do this. We'll put up a picture of uh, the math problem because I would love any of our smart friends to take a look at it and see if any of it makes sense or if it is all entirely garbage. Yeah. But also in the lower left-hand corner, there is a fraction that is love over hate and it equals zero. Which is like, which again is like, oh no. I missed that both times. This is, you're now a step away from hanging up pictures in your room and connecting them with pieces of yarn. I I don't, I'm not sure what the math of love over hate equals zero is, but I think it ends with him becoming an assassin. Is that love divided by hate or like a fraction? I was told there'd be no math. Uh. (laughs) Good. So this is it. We stare up at the clock. And Charlie Brown's got one more plan, which is the second the, the clock strikes noon. He's going to go wait at the bus stop. He's going to go wait at the school bus stop. Because that did not disappoint him before. And be first in line. And he's going to see the little red-haired girl. And it's something. Something. And then the two of them will sit on the back of the bus and it'll be like the end of the graduate. Sure. That does not happen. Right. Instead, what happens is... Well, first of all, the clock that he's looking at, again, in a, uh, a stunning salute to the absolute dearth of continuity, the clock is like, it's eight o'clock, and then it's three in the afternoon, and then it's seven in the morning. 36 hour days at the yes. school. <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of those all night campuses. <laughs> and then finally, it is the stroke of noon, school is out, Charlie Brown dashes ahead of the scrum, gets to the bus stop, is immediately bowled over by a million children we have never seen before. Lots of them. Uh, a whole lot of them. Uh, each one of them canon, and each one of them with their backstory, I'm sure. And and this is one of my favorites. We definitely see Linus twice. A little bonus sprinkling. Uh, <laughs> he Dr. Manhattans. He bilocates, as we have talked about before. He just of- loves boarding the bus. So he temporarily shifts <laughs> so he can board the bus twice. Man, that was great. I got to do that again. Pulling a fast one, Sally. I'm getting on. No, I'm not. What? And then uh, and then Charlie Brown is left there alone, missing a bus for the second time today. Um, and missing the bus in his life. Really, he's he is prepared. He's <laughs> always missing the bus, um, and he's standing there, and it's like ah, done goofed again. I might as well just go throw myself into Shermie's lump and just just spend my days <laughs> being slowly masticated. But in, but he has a piece of paper in his hand somehow, and he reads it, and it. Did you get that? It's like it was. I I think it was something like I like you. Signed the little red haired girl, which which is this episode's, or it's just signed little red haired girl, like yeah. that's her name, Charlie Brown. I th- I think it's like Charlie Brown. I like you too. Signed the little red haired girl. Sure. And uh, so he does his frustrating little jig one more time. Well, let's first of all let's unpack this for just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that she signs her name the little red haired girl, yeah, means one of two things. Mm-hmm. One, she does not want to be found. Okay. Like it is it's basically just like look I know how you feel I feel the same way but it will never work I'm being sent off to the Hunger Games for the summer or whatever it is I'm doing. Sure. And you don't get to know my name. Yeah. 
Um, if this is the case, she's kind of terrible that she couldn't at least write her. But I guess she's heard him refer to her as the little red haired girl. Well, and she the sort of crux of like Charlie, like the whole thing that was driving Charlie Brown forward for like, I got to tell her before school's out is then I won't see her until September right. if I don't say something now. And so I guess the implication was that if he said something, they would trade information or right. or something to stay in contact. And she did not offer that. No. She she could have left like, oh, by the way, you call my parents' house at blah, blah, blah. Right. Nope. Nope. Charlie Brown, I like you too. Little red-haired girl. You don't get to know my name. Peace out. Have a kick-ass summer. Yeah. So that's theory A. Yeah. Theory B, nothing in the text to support this, nothing in the show to support this. Linus did it. Oh. Or one of the gang, possibly Linus, maybe even Lucy, who knows. But it was done by one of the other kids either to give him a ray of hope or just to make him feel terrible. <laughs> um, I don't... And we can... I think we can leave this up to our audience. Right. Um, stick it into our ask receptacle. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think that uh, the little red-haired girl actually wrote this, or whether this is an act of uh, subterfuge. I also wasn't sure why she... Because the thing that bugged me was, why did she sign it little red-haired girl? Like, does she not have a name? And, you know, going back to, you know, the kids in this town are very branding positive. Yep. And so maybe she knows from his several public declarations <laughs> that that's what he calls her. Yep. And so it's just sort of this. Well, also, oh, maybe if she had written, well, so canonically her name is Heather. Yes, but we don't know that yet. We and don't ma- know that And maybe yet. the writers of the show didn't know that yet. Possibly. So maybe if she had written Heather... Charlie Brown would have been like, who's I Heather? Know, I don't know who Heather is. Yeah. Really, the solution would have been to write Heather, parentheses, the little red-haired girl. Yeah. Um, but I think she's maybe savvy enough to go like, well, this is, he doesn't know my name. Yeah. I'm just going to lean into this. And there you go. And then Charlie Brown. And then for the second time uh, in a row, after a great pumpkin, our special ends with a child having a manic episode mm-hmm. of him just running around doing like his dumb punchable little jig yep. and then running about town just like i can't wait just wait until next year and then we're gonna hold hands and he, his concept of a relationship is carrying her books for her walking home with her and having her be on his baseball team and having her be on his baseball team which is like that is no prize charlie brown uh and then have you seen I, your baseball team and i think he also filters in like kind of like wait till everybody else gets a load of this because for everything charlie brown's life is performative like it has to be there always has to be an aspect of wait till everybody else finds out that i didn't goof up this time and maybe they will leave me the fuck alone for once i think that's valid though seeing how everyone's treated him like garbage yeah um so he dances off he dances as the credits uh play he dances off into the horizon uh growing in size uh the scale not great. Like he dances off into the horizon. Well, he, he's, he, he lives in a forced perspective town. <laughs> yes, of it's course. a backdrop. <laughs> because the children had to build it after the accident. And they <laughs> have these little child scale houses. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the town. No clue. But I don't understand why Charlie Charlie Brown did not deserve to get rewarded for everything he did in this episode. Like, there's no reason this should have turned out okay for him. It's not much of a reward. No, it's, it's not, not a reward for anybody. Not yeah. even for the audience. Um, and then we fade to black and then we get our, another first, uh, in the, uh, in the first four episodes, uh, a credit tag mm-hmm. where Sam Jackson comes in and tells him about the shield initiative. <laughs> 
She's been sent off to the Hunger Games. Do you know what that is? <laughs> but we we throw back and Charlie Brown's like, lest, lest we end on an up note for Charlie Brown, he's basically like, how am I going to live until September? That would have happened anyway. Yeah. Whether or not this girl had reached out to him, yeah. he would still be like, oh, September, I got to wait. Yeah. So this is not really a solution. No, it's... it's Just a little miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that brings to an end this really detestable episode. Yeah, it's beautifully blandished. <laughs> it is. They, 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 As Molly likes to say, they blandished the hell out of it. <laughs> Graphically. Scenes even. of graphic blandishment. <laughs> every episode. We will make that joke every episode. It looks wonderful. It certainly reflects the tone of the strip. Mm-hmm. I would not use this as an entry point. No. This feels like an episode that should have come 90,000 episodes in. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like kind it of. It sets a- up a couple important things. We have Peppermint Patty now. She's yep. that, that card's on the table. And we have the trombone talking and we have, uh, the other thing I forget that got introduced. Stupid, dumb little songs. Stupid, and- dumb little songs. Yeah. There's a bunch of, no. So like for the evolution of the thing, for the evolution of this sort of species of animated special, it's fine. It looks good. There are some funny jokes in it. I would never show this. I would sooner show somebody Charlie Brown All-Stars than this first if I had a choice. Yeah, because Charlie Brown really is just at his most punchable. Which brings us to one of our end of episode questions. Did Charlie Brown bring this all on himself? Absolutely. A resounding Yes. We have just spent the last however many hours discussing uh, – terrible. He has brought this entirely upon himself. He worked himself into an anxiety froth and really did not – like, and, the, and then just reached out to the worst people for help. Yep. Um, it does Linus – again, going back to the Christmas special, which you know we're sort of using as the shining example of what a uh, peanut special should be. Does Linus – offer any words of wisdom or fix anything at the end of the episode oh no no he's terrible i don't think that's always his job but his he's generally sort of supposed to be supportive and he's kind of broken and credulous in the same ways charlie brown is broken and credulous and he doesn't even do that a nom but a nominal if not if he doesn't he doesn't have to fix everything at the end of the episode but he's the foil and i feel he was the foil yeah uh or at least offering some words of wisdom or something and he does nothing he rats out charlie brown when he's late he is not sly with the little red-haired girl yeah he's a mess yeah he is a terrible friend um was anybody apart from linus written out of type do you think no, everybody's pretty everybody's on model. Everybody's pretty on, on brand. Everybody's pretty on model. Yeah. Um, is Lucy, Pigpen especially. Yeah, dirt. He's filthy. And in this episode, we learned he absorbs dirt as well. He's like Magneto, but for dirt. Yeah. Or a Katamari Damacy. <laughs> what, what is that? Katamari Damacy? Uh, what is the... Isn't there some villain in the Marvel Universe that is just made out of sand? Sandman. Sandman. Or is that DC? Who knows? Uh, Nerd stuff. Who cares? Anyways, back to talking for two hours about Charlie Brown. We certain things on Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> is Lucy the antagonist? Yeah. I think so. She she destroys a piano and then yells at Charlie Brown from her psychiatrist thing. I don't know. She's just kind of She's an asshole. She's a shitbag. But she's she's not the instigator. Yeah. No, Charlie Brown brings all of this on himself. He is his like kind of like it with Linus and Great Pumpkin. He is both the protagonist and the antagonist. He is his yeah. own worst enemy. Like I understand we're supposed to. I just didn't find any reason to root for him. Yeah. Really. 
and like, uh, just, get, just get over it. Just talk Sno- to her. She's probably fine. And Snoopy didn't have a lot to do. There no. was no, uh, I, I incorrectly assumed in the last episode that from sort of the world one flying ace bit in uh, great pumpkin on, there would always be some kind of Snoopy ish flight of fancy. No, no. He, he was kind of a throwaway joke in the playground scene, but other than that. And he made his own, he made his own breakfast made and that's breakfast. about it. Um, which I felt like was a, I'm actually kind of okay with that amount of Snoopy. Yeah. I feel like it is, and, and, and this is a thing that happened in the well, script. So much of this special was just Charlie Brown's interior monologue. Yeah. And there's not a lot of room for other things. No, no. We've got to make sure this kid talks to himself for at least 20 minutes. Molly, what did you learn? Um, I learned that if you like someone, just tell them. <laughs> um, and don't wait for people at bus stops. <laughs> and, and, and what else? Don't flip out at your teacher and then blame it on like, just, it's your own darn fault if you get sent to the principal's office. I think what you're saying is stop being such a blockhead. Yeah. I'm Molly Lewis. I'm Josh Kagan. This has been the Peanuts Gallery. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, Questions, comments, concerns? Tweet them at us at at Peanuts Podcast. You blockheads.